Awesome. You can be seated. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm the lead pastor here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word to you. Uh, today we're looking at uh, greatness. We're going to look at it through the path of serving. Uh, I want you to see that those are connected. Jesus is going to connect those two today. We've, we're continuing a, a, a summer-long sermon series called Ancient Paths. And so we're looking at different spiritual disciplines that, uh, that uh, are to, to help us. Uh, be more like Jesus. And so what, we're looking at greatness today or, or service. Or, uh, that's what we're looking at. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. Um, one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. And so uh, we'll talk about, as we go along, this connection with service and greatness. But I want to start by just asking the question, uh, who wants to be great? Like we have, there's a lot of talk in our day about greatness, like whether it's the, the grace of all time, the goat, uh, or uh, talking about making uh, our country great. There's people talk about greatness all the time like there it's just a conversation that gets that brought up and so we're going to see here that Jesus disciples are, are kind of like us they're all, they're wondering who's the best who's the greatest and then Jesus is going to talk about the true path of greatness and that is through serving so that's where we're headed and so um what we, what we see here is in verse 24 of Luke 22, a dispute arose among them. That's his disciples. So they're arguing. Uh, they're like any of us, you know, arguing over who the greatest is. I know some of you think LeBron James is, but it's actually Michael Jordan. I have the mic, so I can say that. Um, and so there's a dispute among them. Who's the greatest? That's what's going on. As to which one of them will be regarded as the greatest. Just imagine this. You're, you're a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is with you. He's clearly the greatest. Like he's sinless. He's God in the flesh. Like, you followed him. He's not following you. And they're over here arguing on the side about who's the greatest. It's just an ironic scene we have going on here. But either way, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Really, they're saying, like, who's going to be number two is really what they're, they're, they're talking about. And so Jesus interrupts their conversation and says to them, verse 25, he says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. So now he's going to talk about greatness. Uh, he's going to talk about the, the, the cultural context, the, the world in which they, li- they find themselves in. The Gentiles who are ruling uh, in the Greco-Roman world here, uh, the not Jewish, that's what Gentile is, r- leaders, they lord over their, their, their subjects, he says, and, and use their authority over them, and they're called benefactors. He says, not so with you. So I, I get your conversation about uh, who's the greatest, but you need to know that you take cues from a different leader. He says this, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? So what he's saying here is the picture is, isn't the one who's like sitting at the table, everyone's waiting on them, aren't they the greatest in the culture in the world? And yeah, that's what we want, Jesus. And he says, well, hey, uh, but I am among you as one who serves. So he's contrasting these two ideas of greatness. We're going to see it's the, it's the greatness according to the kingdom, that's Jesus and it's, cra- and it's uh, greatness according to the world. That's what he's contrasting when Jesus is talking about the Gentiles and those who are ruling in the day and age in which they live. And so what I want us to see is that there's two forms of greatness. Kingdom greatness and there's worldly greatness. See, the world's greatness operates on a counterfeit idea and a counterfeit system because it's demonic. And in every form of, of uh, what we see is God creates things, Satan counterfeits things. And so uh, God created a perfect kingdom. And so there's a counterfeit kingdom uh, led. It's a fake kingdom. It's not a real kingdom, but it's Satan and demons. They have sought to lead and rule and serve in the world we live in. And some people, unknowingly, we will take our cues from them and not from the culture of the, of the kingdom. And so this actually began when Satan and a host of angels in, in, in heaven, they, they sought themselves to be equal with God. This is where it all started. 
Before earth was created, before mankind was, was hanging out here with God, walking on earth, Satan and a host of angels sought to it themselves to be equal with God. They, they wanted to be a great apart from God. I want you to know this. Angelic beings are great. We read the, the, in, the, in, the, in the text where, like, if you, if you see an angel, everyone is in fear because they're awesome, glorious. Like, in the, in, the, in the unseen realm, if you see an angel, like, you fall on your face and you want to worship. You shouldn't worship an angel. We only worship Jesus. But that's how glorious and awesome they are. So, so the, the angels in heaven, they were glorious. They were awesome. They were, they were great. And so what we see in, in the unseen realm is that they sought themselves to be equal with God, a host of angels and Satan, and so they rebelled against God. See, what they were doing in this moment of, uh, is saying that I don't want to serve you, God. I don't want to submit to you, God. I don't want to worship you, God. I want to be my own person. I want to be apart from you. I want to lead apart from you. I want greatness apart from you. And what that ended up happening was it caused them to be kicked out of God's presence and that in that that demonic counterfeit has now become pervasive in our in our day and our age and our culture. So when it comes to greatness in our culture, for, for many of us, we take our cues from the world, the world's form of greatness. See, I want us to see Jesus isn't going to uh, critique their desire for greatness. He's going to redirect it for his purposes, for his kingdom, the greater kingdom. And so greatness according to the world that we see here is described as is rooted in pride, in this arrogance, in this, this lording over as he describes. Additionally, uh, we see in our day and age, if you, look at our, if you examine our culture, you look at uh, uh, greatness according to our world, it's usually expressed through money, power, sex, pride. That's what it is. And then we see in 1 John chapter 2, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can, you can listen. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all, of, all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. See, this is, this is the paradigm our culture finds itself living in oftentimes when it, when it, when it operates according to the demonic counterfeit. It's, see, it's, it's seeing something and, there, and, and, and the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. What it does is it says, I see it, I want it, I'll take it, and I'll seize it. That's, that's, that's what it does. That's the demonic counterfeit of greatness. See it, want it, take it, seize it, and then keep anyone forever enjoying that. Control, power. And keeping uh, power in, or keeping control by uh, maintaining your power—that is the chief end, oftentimes, of greatness according to the world's standards. I need you to see this. When when Satan came to tempt Eve, what was, what did what did he say? What did he say? He said, "Hey, here's a fruit, piece of fruit. God said not to eat it. You should." I mean, the temptation was to question God's authority over them, to question God's love and character for them. And then what did she saw? She saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. So what did she see? She saw it. She took it. She ate it. And then she made a disciple. Hey, husband, here you take, eat as well. And so this, this pattern of desiring greatness or goodness or, or things apart from God has, has just, we call sin. It's now in, 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 woven into the tapestry of our lives. And so what I want us to see when it comes to greatness, some of you will think greatness, I shouldn't want greatness because I'm humble. Well, it's oftentimes a false humility. Greatness is not the issue. Sin is the issue. Money's not the issue. Sin is the issue. Power's not the issue. Sin is the issue. When we see throughout the Old Testament, God never uh, condemns anyone for having power or money or, 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 or a seat of honor. What he does is he condemns them for using that for evil and vileness. When, 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 when leaders rule in such a way in which they oppress the people, God rebukes them. 
He sets men and women in charge. Uh, and we see throughout the scriptures, and we see that we see there's times in which God raises up kings for his people. He also overthrows kings. The issue is not a kingdom. The, the issue isn't power. The issue isn't greatness. The issue is who's, it, who's at the helm? Who's leading? What's the spirit behind it? Is it the spirit of the Lord, or is it a counterfeit? What we see here is that Jesus is referring to himself as the greatest. He's implying that. He's, he's saying, look at the kings of the day. They're, 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 they're operating according to the counterfeit. They're lording over those in the, under their authority. They sit at the table, and they just want you to wait on them, serve them. They don't care about you. They care about only themselves. And it's interesting here because he says that the, the, the world's greatness, he's, he's, he's pointing to the leadership structure. He's talking about the, the governing leaders. He's saying that they're, they're kings. They lord over you. Like we live in a world in which we're supposed to have, or we're in a country in which it's supposed to be a government by the people and for the people, but all the people go, that, that ain't true. It doesn't seem like those in power are for us. It seems like they're trying to keep power, maintain power for themselves. That's what it seems like. I'm not saying that's everyone. That's what it seems like, right? And so what he, Jesus is saying is that what, 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 they're, what they're doing here is, is they're, they're this kingdom, and this is where I say in our day and age we're called those who, uh, public office, are called what? Civil servants? They're supposed to serve the people? And so oftentimes in our day and age, sadly, people in those positions want to keep their positions and rob you of your freedoms in order to maintain their power. And see, if the reason being, you have to understand this, that's normal for them because that's the pattern of the demonic counterfeit of greatness. What else will they do if they're following the wrong king? Build, up, build a wrong kingdom. And so what I want us to see here is that the issue here is the spirit of darkness behind greatness. The issue is not a desire for greatness. The issue is who's behind the scenes. And so uh, what, what we see here is that the world in this, the world we live in is passing away. And we're told in 1 John 2, 17 that the world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there is a kingdom, or there is a counterfeit kingdom. There is a counterfeit king, Satan, and the spirit of darkness that will eventually breathe no more on on earth. And Jesus' kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. That's what he teaches us to pray. And so what he's doing and bringing, ushering his kingdom in, into this day and age here we see in Luke, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's offering his disciples a different way with a different king and a different paradigm. So you want to be great, Jesus is saying, then be a servant. That's what he's saying. He's not saying don't desire greatness. He's saying desire greatness God's way. So he says be a servant be a servant. See, this word here in verse 27, uh, we see it twice. Uh, the one who serves and then he's uh, uh, one who reclines at table, the one who serves, and then we see again at the end, but I among you as the one who serves. Both of those terms, serves, there is the, the Greek word, diakonoe, which where, which where we get the term deacon or servant or um, the, the office of deacon in the New Testament. That's the, that's the same word. And so what this word is, is Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift, a cultural change. This word servant means to do, do the domestic act of service, to serve, to wait upon, to minister to. Uh, it can also be used to, to refer to waiting on tables. This is why we have the term when you're at a restaurant, who's your server? It's where the term comes from. It actually comes from the, the New Testament where uh, uh, the office of deacon is first employed when the, the widows needed 
help at the serving the tables, and so they hire or they enlisted deacons uh, to serve the widows, so the the elders and the apostles could keep preaching and praying. So this is an office. It became an office later. But this idea of service is is not just the office of deacon, but every Christian should be a servant. Jesus is telling his disciples, "You want to be great? I have a way for you. If you want to be great, there is a way." And I want us to see that every Christian should go, you know what, I, wanna, I want greatness, but not apart from Christ. I want greatness like Christ. I want the greatness of Christ to be on display. I want to take the form of a servant like Jesus because, man, I'm not better than my master. I want to follow in his, in his wake. See, the desire for greatness isn't the issue. It's what is the spirit at work behind the desire for greatness? Are you working for the counterfeit kingdom of yourself, of your own glory, that's the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world. Or are you, or you, or you laboring for a, a kingdom apart from you? You want, you want to serve Jesus in, in a true kingdom and see his kingdom on display in our life. But that is empowered by the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. See, we must be clear. Jesus is great. He's the greatest of all time. He really is. He's the greatest king, the greatest leader, the greatest servant. He has the greatest kingdom, and we are called to be his people. If you're a Christian, Jesus has saved you, and he's adopted you and drafted you into his kingdom, his team, to continue his what? Great mission. We call it the Great Commission. It's great. So many Christians, they hear greatness, and they're like, ah, we can't want greatness. We just, because we think that, that if we would desire greatness, then somehow... We only understand it as the world's greatness. So that's what his disciples are doing. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus comes in and he redirects them. He redirects their desire for greatness for kingdom greatness. He doesn't squash their desire for greatness. He redirects it. And so we should want to build, grow, sustain great families, great legacies, great businesses, create culture, have have great holy ambition build churches, build ministries, change the world. We should want to do all those things, not for our name's sake, but for the cause of Christ, for the glory of our God and King, so that Jesus is lifted up, he's made much of, he's seen as great, not us. And so we should desire God-glorifying greatness. Have great families, grow a family, have a great legacy. I pray that we have a great church. And that plants more churches and great churches. And that we can do what Jesus says and his kingdom can be experienced here on earth as it is in heaven. That's great. Because we love our great God and we want to serve this great city. And that's exciting, right? You're like, I want to build that. I want to establish that. I want to do that. I, like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, vision sounds awesome. It is. It's awesome. But you know what it takes? Service. It takes work. If you want to achieve kingdom greatness, you got to be humble. If you want to achieve kingdom greatness, you got to get to work. If you want to see kingdom greatness, you got to take the form of a servant. That's what we see here. So what's required for us to see this, and this is part of our vision of the church, we want to see all this established. So what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is focusing on the, what it will require to see, see, see kingdom greatness come through this church, create a kingdom culture here that overflows out there. The way that's going to happen is that we adopt the heart of a servant like Jesus. It starts at our heart. We have to desire, we have to have the heart of a servant to serve Jesus in our home, to serve Jesus in our jobs, to serve Jesus in our, in our whole life. It re- requires us to take the posture uh, of a servant to build, to grow, to sustain a business, to change a culture, to build a ministry. It takes real humility 
to, to help establish things in, 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 a, in a kingdom enterprise that are going to be blessings to other people. Consider others better than ourselves. See, all who call upon the name of Jesus are called to his mil- mission to build it, to establish it, to cultivate it, to contend for it, to grow it, to sustain it. And what that requires is that we do things his way. It, it, it requires a type of greatness in the form of humility, like we see with Jesus. And now some of you are like his disciples here, and you're like, man, I, I want to be great, and I, I've postured my whole life to, to pursue greatness. And so maybe God wants to redirect you today, because your greatness is according to the world's ways. And so by God's grace, excuse me, we'll, we'll, he, the Holy Spirit will redirect that. Some of you need humility. I need you to hear this. If you are not humble, and you're a Christian, if you're not humble, and, and God will humble you. Like it's not a promise for me to you, it's God to you. I'm just the messenger. Like he's going to humble you. And, and what, he, what he says is that he opposes the proud, actually. When we're proud, arrogant, boastful, he opposes us, and then we don't want to stand in opposition to God. We love God. We want to worship him. So we should be humble, submit to him. So it takes a type of humility. Now, some of you, however, you don't have any ambition. You have no ambition. You're like, I'm afraid of being great. Or you're afraid of acting on what God is putting before you to act in culture, to lead, and to, to love, to serve, to, to do the thing God's called you to because you're afraid of what other people think. You're afraid of failure. You're just stuck in the position you find yourself in, and you're just fearful. Your ambition wanes because you, you're just, you just don't have any holy ambition. We need that ambition. You, we need a desire for greatness, a drive to, to see the kingdom of God put on display. Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. This is where we see John the Baptist. This is what I love so much about him. He was the guy who Jesus says is the greatest in human history. It was John the Baptist. At the height of his ministry career, everyone's coming to him. He sees Jesus show up and he goes, all right, now that my ministry is at the, the biggest it can possibly be, let me hand it off to the guy who's the main event, Jesus. I'm going to take the background, he says. He says, may I decrease so that Jesus would increase. May our lives be marked the same way. That we wouldn't be afraid to grow something. We wouldn't be afraid to be, have a platform, to be in the public sphere, ha- have uh, uh, opportunities to witness for Jesus. We'd be afraid of those things. We'd repent when we're sinful. We'd be submission to Jesus' word and authority in the church. We would walk in his word, will, and ways. But we would sacrifice greatly for the cause of Christ. And we'd have a great desire to see the, the kingdom flourish with greatness and power in our midst, in our church, in our families, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, and among the world. But in order to do that, the discipline of service is paramount. We have to have the heart of a servant. We can cast a vision all day long about how great this would be to see the city transformed. Until we take the posture of a servant, like Jesus, we'll just, it's just going to be talk. It's going to be talk. So the first thing I want us to see here is that, and we must know this, is that who we serve, we serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. Romans 12, uh, 11, it says this, do not be slothful in zeal. So be pumped up, get to work, it's awesome. But be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's the job. We are to serve the Lord. We serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. Christians, if you know, love, and trust Jesus, you are called to serve to be a servant. Who do you serve first? Jesus Christ. That's who we serve. How, how should I serve him? With not slothfulness, not be lazy in our zeal, but zealous, excited, energetic, fervent. Want to be empowered by a spirit to serve the Lord. That should be our desire, a chief desire. We, we, we aren't called to serve the Lord in a posture of 
laziness, boring. We should be excited to serve the Lord. We're commanded here. And so I say we're, we serve the pleasure of King Jesus so, so that we could actually think in these terms. See, some of you, uh, depending on your, your, your background, your job environment, understand what it's like to serve at the pleasure of someone who's in charge of you. You're like, man, I, I like that leader. I serve under them like it's an honor. I need you to see the greatest honor in human history is not the service of any, any president of the United States. It's the service of King Jesus. That's the greatest honor. I'm not saying there's, it's not honorable to serve under other people. I'm saying the greatest honor in human history is to serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. Until we get that, we can't really move forward. Until you have the highest honor, if you're a Christian, you have the highest honor bestowed to man. You're a servant of the Most High King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whose mission the gates of hell can't stop who at one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he is king, will bow to him. He is king now and he will be king forevermore. Man, and he's adopted you onto his team, his family. He's your, God is your father. And he says, like, I got work for us to do. It's the family business. Like, this is your inheritance. We should be ecstatic. We serve at the pleasure of King Jesus, the greatest master. So this means, what this means then is if we serve the pleasure of King Jesus, he calls the shots. We do things his way. See, this is what Satan and demons didn't like in, in heaven is that they, want, they don't want to do things his way. Christians struggle with this. Our day and age is full of Christians who want to edit God's word instead of proclaim God's word. Uh, you know, look at it and then you know, amend it in order to fit their, the cultural custom of our time. We can't do this. We must submit to it. Gladly, willfully. And if you're a guest with us and you, you want to know, we, this is what we do here. We, God's word is supreme. We submit ourselves underneath it. And here's the, here's the beauty. It convicts us all. We all read and go, I'm guilty. Like it doesn't read it. We don't read it. It reads us. It exposes our heart, our sin, where we need to repent. So if, you, if you're here and you, and, you, and you think like, man, they seem to like uh, be, be very narrow-minded. We're very narrow-minded in that we, we're God's way. That we're all guilty. We're all guilty. What the Bible does is it shows us our need for a Savior. It convicts us of our sin and leads us on the path of righteousness. And so this is what we do. We serve at the pleasure of King Jesus means that we submit to him. So we read in his words that what he says, we say, yes, Lord, and go, man, actually, I disagree with that. I'm wrong. You're right. Let me wrestle through it. So if you read the word of God and you feel like God's wrong and you're right, I'm not saying go to another church. I'm saying wrestle with it. Slow down. Ask questions. Stick around long enough to let God change you. Because that's the reality is that we don't edit God's word, it edits us. And you don't have to believe everything that God says in his word to be a Christian now, but over time, Jesus will convict your heart, change you, transform you. You'll become more and more like him as time goes on. And that's the goal, that we become more like Jesus. And so we submit to him, we are his servants, meaning we execute his commands. He says to do it, we say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. And we should do so with gladly. When he says repent, we do it. When we see things in our lives and we're like, man, I'm like totally walking away. I'm counter, walking counter to what God's word says. We, and I mean, I feel guilt. I feel shame. What we do is we confess our sin, turn to him, receive forgiveness, and walk in repentance. Walk in the new life. See, the, 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 the king, the, the greatness according to the culture will tell you that it'll just affirm you and where you're at. Just stay in your sin. Stay stuck in your sin. No change. Jesus wants to transform you. And so additionally, we, we don't only uh, 
model his, 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 his commands. We don't only execute it on those. We, we also have his ambitions. We should have his goals. We should think his kingdom should be first. Like That's what the scriptures teach us. That we should want his goals. When, in John chapter, what, what is it, uh, uh, 15, um, where he says that, when Jesus says that he want, it's the Father's will that we produce much fruit, we should want it to be fruitful as well. We should want the kingdom to be fruitful. We should want to see many know, love, trust, reach Jesus, and then live like Jesus. Additionally, we, uh, we submit, not only submit to him, but we model his, his character in our deeds. When we're his servants, what means is we, we, we reflect his character in our word and deed. So it means at your job, with your spouse, where you find yourself, it's not just serving him by doing what he says, but doing what he says how he says to do it, with his character, with godliness. So you can lead, God calls men to lead um, in the home, but you can lead in the home with the character of Satan. Don't do that. Proud, arrogant, boastful, domineering. You're like, well, I'm leading. God told me to lead. Yes, but lead with the character of Christ, a servant. We, we, we also serve, this means that we serve the pleasure of King Jesus, means that we also lead with his character and his methods. We don't compromise, we don't complain, we maintain, and that we should not be slothful to zeal, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. See, it's clear that Christians are to serve. And in turn, what that ends up happening is we, we serve the Lord, and then in turn, it, it, we serve others. It overflows, because we, as we read God's word, what we see is that the commands are to serve others. And so, this is where, what, what, what happens though is you see the command, you see where, what you're supposed to do, you see that I'm supposed to serve the Lord, but some of you right now, you're like, yeah, but I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I don't know that I'm, I, I have zeal. I might be slothful to zeal or, hey, I'm just not fervent in spirit right now. I'm just kind of burned out. I'm just kind of burned out. And so that's, that's where some of you may find yourself. So what do you do when you find yourself in that position? When you, you see the command, I love Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to obey him, he is the king, I serve at the pleasure of King Jesus, but Jesus, I'm just kind of burned out, I'm tired. I need help at a heart level. See, this is what the, we're spending the rest of our time hopefully unpacking and so that to help change that. But it starts with this reality that you do serve, your service must be motivated by obedience first. Before we command the emotions, we must understand that it is a command to be obedient, Period. We're going to talk about the, the emotions uh, in, in, in our hearts and our zeal coming up, but I want us to see first that we're commanded to serve the Lord, regardless of how we feel. This is a command. It says it this way in Deuteronomy 13, 4, it says, You shall walk after the Lord your God, and to fear Him, and to keep His commands, and to obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. See, we're commanded to serve Him. This is an act of obedience, we saw back in John chapter 4 a few weeks ago that Jesus told, told us in, that he, we are to love obedience like a satisfying meal. See, Jesus in John 4 was like, I, I, I don't even need to eat because I'm so, I love obeying God the Father. See, we should want to obey because we love God. We serve the pleasure of King Jesus, we should want to obey him, so I'm going to serve him. And, and Jesus says that, that serving him is like a satisfying meal. Some of us feel a lack of satisfaction in our life because we haven't been obedient to serving Jesus. We serve other things. We serve ourselves, serve our little gods. We serve our boss. We serve everybody else but Jesus. We spend more of our time serving our boss than, than Jesus. 
or serving ourselves with our own sin, our own, our own laziness, our own, our own just trying to get away from everything. We don't serve Jesus. And we wonder why we're, we're, we're depleted and lacking. See, we're, the Bible teaches that we're to, to serve the Lord and actually to, commands us to serve the Lord. What he says here in Deuteronomy 13, he says that we are to, commanded to first follow him. So if you're not a Christian, first step is to become a Christian, follow Jesus. Second is to fear him. This means worship him. The worship is the overflow into the keeping his commandments, it says, to obeying his voice. So hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, obeying the word of God, serving him, and holding fast to him, meaning that we're supposed to stay near him, to cling to him, to not wander off. So as you serve the Lord, you need to understand that and you're serving the Lord and you feel like I'm lacking in zeal. You need to understand that the Lord is with you and you're to stay near him. As you serve, you're literally serving at the pleasure of King Jesus, but you're serving next to him, with him. Stay near to him. Don't wander off in your service. Stay next, next to him. Stay near him. Furthermore, when it comes to obedience and service, we must understand that there's consequence for being disobedient. Deuteronomy 28, 7, it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, because you did not, hear this, so just a few chapters later in Deuteronomy, he says this, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, and because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord has sent against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Here's the reality. You will serve someone. You will serve Jesus or you'll serve yourself. If you serve yourself or any other being, what you're doing is serving a counterfeit king whose yoke upon you will destroy you. Period. It's the consequence of disobedience. This is the reality. You teach your kid you do this, and there's consequences. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be cut off from me. They, what did they do? They ate of the fruit, they were cut off from him. You serve the Lord, it's commanded. You don't, you'll serve a different master. That master will lord over you and you will be enslaved. And he will ruin you. Whether that be an actual uh, governing leader uh, or an army or a nation that will rule over you. Or it's simply the desires of your flesh. You yourself rule over you in such a way that you are addicted to, to, to self-gratifying needs and you're, 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 you're not serving the Lord, but you're serving the pleasure of the enemy and you don't even know it because of your deviance from God. And so it's not leading to satisfaction, but it's actually leaving you hungry and thirsty uh, spiritually. You, you feel lacking. You feel exposed. The yoke is put on you and you're being destroyed. See, Jesus is a great king. We're told Elsewhere, as we began this sermon series, that Jesus' yoke was what? Easy. And his burden was light. See, there is a yoke that King Jesus puts over us, but he is with us and he's, he's walking next to us. But that yoke is easy and light. See, we don't serve Jesus. If you're not willing to serve Jesus out of obedience, at least see the consequences of disobedience. He says, if you do not serve the Lord with gladness, joyfulness and gladness, because of the abundance of things, because of the great things that he has done, you shall serve your enemies. Question you have to ask yourself is, who are you going to serve? We serve the kingdom, we serve the world. We serve the king or the counterfeit. So sometimes we're lacking zeal. and We just need to know that we, we, we need the discipline and rely on the discipline of obedience. I'm going to choose Jesus, 
his word will in ways, even when I don't feel like it, because I know that the, the other king, the other kingdom, the, the, the counterfeit will rule me in a way that will destroy me. And while you're waiting for your affections to catch up, you just choose obedience. Now, God tells us to serve with gladness, with glad hearts. So not only does he command our actions, but he commands our emotions. So what do we do about our emotions in this point? Glad you asked. Next, we must be, our service must be motivated by gratitude. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. So we've got the same thing. Same command again. Uh, fear, only fear the Lord, so worship him. And then serve him faithfully with all your heart. So some of you, this is where you're at. You're, I, I, I worship Jesus. I'm serving him with my whole life. I'm exhausted. I'm, turn, I'm burned out. I don't feel zeal in my heart. Uh, I don't feel gladness. I don't feel joy. What am I to do at this juncture? What does he say? Consider the great things. Or what, for, for consider what great things God has done for you. Consider great things, what he's done for you. So the command here is the same. Worship the Lord. Fear the Lord. Be faithful to him. Serve him with your whole being. Right? And if you're lacking zeal, you're lacking fervor, what are you supposed to do? You're, you're, consider, you're to consider what great things God has done for you. See, I'm convinced that Christians don't spend enough time here. They don't, they don't spend enough time considering the greatness of God in their life. Just this week, God has blessed you in ways in which you, you have no idea. He sustains your life that you're even here today living, breathing. You might have had a rough week, but there are areas of your life and your week in which the mercy and grace of God was on display. But did you have eyes to see it? See, God's people were prone in the Old Testament to forget his goodness. See, when they got saved out of Egyptian slavery, they, they, they part, God parted the, the Red Sea, and they walked through it on dry land, and then it closed up and devoured their enemies, and now they're free on the other side, headed to the promised land, and then a whole, a whole generation of people, what did they do? They grumbled, they complained, and they forgot the goodness of God. And guess what happened? They didn't make it in the promised land. See, here's the reality. You might be saved. You might be a Christian. You might get to go to heaven. You might be with Jesus forever. But you might have a miserable time on earth if you're not grateful for what God has done. You might miss out on opportunities he has for you. You may not get into the land of promise, the next land that you have, that what God wants to do in and through this church or in and through the city, where, what God is planning to do, it, just because you don't have a heart of gratitude and you're not motivated to serve Jesus and you're just like uh, kind of complaining, I want to sit on the sidelines. And so God's going to go on without you. It's not that you're not a Christian, not that you're not saved. It's just he's going to go on without you. See, his mission can't be stopped. His mission can't be stopped. And so when we find ourselves lacking motivation or our hearts are, are, are waning uh, with zeal, consider the great things the Lord has done for you. Consider it. Spend time daily, frequently, often considering the greatness of God in your life. See, this is what we teach our kids every night when we pray. They don't know that we're, we're, we're teaching them this, but we are. They do now. Uh, uh, we're teaching them this. Every night we pray, we, we, we ask God for something, and we thank God for something. Every single night, there's a moment of thankfulness. And, and even, too, sometimes when they're crying, they're complaining, they're just tired, and they're just, you know, like we get. Sometimes we just get real frustrated. There's nothing to be thankful for. I'm just upset. You give them a few moments to pause and to think, or they listen to their other sibling who's having a, a better day pray. And all of a sudden, they're like, we're thankful for those whales. We're thankful for the birds. They're just starting to be thankful for everything. And it's more genuine. They're thankful for the water, the, the sea world. They're just, then they start thanking you know, God for your kids. And you're like, what, what is going on? They're just start, they go from nothing to like five, ten things in a moment. I see this all the time with them. And what the issue is, is they, they, they stop for a moment. 
and they didn't listen to their emotions that were, that were, that were running wild, submitted those in a, in a small moment to just reflect on what, are, what can I be thankful for? All of a sudden they have things. These are children. And see, this is what, this is what Christian uh, adults do. They do. They, they get mad. They're frustrated. And so they go to pray. And so now they, they want to like hurt the other person that they're praying with just so that they know that they're the ones who are like really sad and they need help. So they just like pray like, God, I'm just thankful that I'm alive. Like they just, just passive aggressive prayers. That's what we do as adults. We just do passive aggressive prayers because we don't want to slow down long enough to consider the goodness of God in our life. Just stop. Slow down. Consider the goodness of God in your life. If you have nothing, I'll give you one. The link that Jesus went to save you. If you're a Christian, Jesus died in your place for your sin. If you're not a Christian, he died in your place for your sin. Jesus the left heaven, came to earth, put on skin and bones like you and I, lived in our place without sin, died a death that we deserved. He was sold out by his friends for you. He was lied about for you. He was crucified, executed, and murdered to forgive you of that hard heart in that moment that doesn't want to serve the Lord with gladness. He already dealt with that one so that you can take your hard heart to the Lord God in prayer. God, I'm, I'm, I'm being real selfish right now. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I don't want to serve. I don't want to do this. I know that I'm being selfish, but I don't know what to do here. Help me see your goodness. Well, you just confess that you need your, you got some sin going on there. Well, Here's the goodness, his grace that lavishes upon you, his mercy that is new every morning to you. Thinking upon the greatness of God, allowing that to transform your heart and mind, leading your heart to stay like the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. It's, it's, like, it's saying like, I want to now serve the Lord with gladness because you've given me a glad heart. So if you have a, a posture of begrudging submission to God, Consider the greatness of God. Look at the cross of Christ. Examine the link that Jesus went to save you and allow that to motivate your heart towards great gratitude. And if it's still not there, we move to the next one. We ought to be motivated by forgiveness. Motivated by forgiveness. Not motivated by guilt, but motivated by forgiveness. See, guilt can motivate someone to serve well. Bitterness is a, is a strong tool for, for productivity. It will build the wrong kingdom and it will ruin a soul, but it will get some stuff done. Being motivated out of guilt will do the same thing. Some of you, you know this, like, oh, I still feel so guilty, so I'm going to go help that person. Or I feel guilty because that person gave me a meal train, so I got to go get the meal train. And it's just like, like everyone is like, I feel guilty because someone else blessed me. So now I got to, like, we, we just live, so many Christians just live motivated by guilt. I got to serve someone because they serve me. That's garbage. It's not the gospel. We serve out of a posture of forgiveness, not a posture of guilt. We serve because we've been forgiven, not to earn forgiveness, not to earn approval. We see this in Isaiah 6, 6 through 8. He says this. When one of the seraphim, or so, so the backstory here real quick is that Isaiah has come into the presence of God. He's been very aware of his sin. He's been caught guilty. I'm sinful. And, he, and he's confessed his sin. And so what ends up happening is that he sees himself guilty. He sees himself in need of forgiveness. He's guilty. What happens? One of the seraphim, uh, one of the angelic beings, flew to me, having his hand in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and touched my mouth and said, Behold, that, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. 
So he's been forgiven. What happens after that? I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. See, Isaiah was aware of his guilt early on. He was aware of his guilt. But his guilt didn't motivate him to hear the voice of the Lord. His guilt actually caused him to go inward and silent. And this is how many of us feel. When you're motivated by guilt, it doesn't make you want to serve the Lord. It makes you want to run from the Lord. It makes you want to hide. When, you're, when, you're, when, you, when guilt is, is consuming you, you want to, to withdraw. And this is my problem with the culture we live in, is that we live in a culture that says your guilt, they, they, they see your guilt, they see your shame, and they go, of affirmation, not transformation. So we're, we're leading, uh, the way of the, the world is keeping people stuck in unrepentance, in unforgiveness, guilty, riddled with shame, and we wonder why everyone's depressed. We wonder why suicide rates are up, because they're not giving them forgiveness, Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins. God doesn't affirm Isaiah in his guilt. He forgives him and has changed. See, forgiveness, true forgiveness, changes people. Changes people. We saw this again in John 4 with the woman at the well. When Jesus forgave her, what happened? She wore her scars open on her sleeve. She was like willing to tell everyone about her past, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus forgave her. See, we, we serve Jesus from a posture of forgiveness, not from a posture of guilt. We serve because we've been forgiven, not to earn his forgiveness. We served empowered by grace, not to earn grace. We serve motivated by forgiveness. If you're a Christian, that Jesus has forgiven you all of your sin, your past, present, and your future sin. No one can do that. Some of you today, uh, you need to forgive yourself. If Jesus has forgiven your sin, then you should forgive yourself. Walk in the newness of life. Walk changed. Walk transformed. And Jesus is our example. When it comes to service. So we serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. We're motivated by obedience, gratitude, and forgiveness. And we look to Jesus as our example. Which Matthew 20, 28 says this. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus, God in the flesh, the greatest of all time, did not come to be served, but to serve. See, the reason being is because we're the needy ones. We need Jesus to serve us. We need Jesus to heal us. We need Jesus to change us. We need Jesus to help us. So what Jesus does in taking the form of a servant here is he says, I want to serve. I want to help. I want to fix. I want to bless. I want to forgive. I want to give hope. I want to give life. I want to impart to you what you don't have and you cannot get on your own. I have it, so I'm going to serve. I'm going to give it to you. This is what we see with Jesus. What service is, is using our time, our talent, our treasure to, to bless and help others. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving his whole life, all of his time, all of his talent, all of his, his, his he leaves the wealth of heaven, comes to earth in order to forsake it all for, so that we could be saved. Because the biggest problem is, is our sin problem, which separates us from God. So it says here that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What he did was he, he the ultimate sacrifice, the act of service, Jesus sacrifices himself. He humbles himself to the point of death on the cross. He gives it all up. 
And this is what it's called, service. This is where we get the idea. He humbles himself, gives everything. And it says here that he was the ransom. He gave his life as the ransom for many. What a ransom is, he, he, he's, he didn't just pay the debt, pay the ransom, sorry, for your escape. He is the ransom. He is the payment. Jesus was crucified in your place for your sins so that you could be set free. This is his example. So Christians, we are to now cultivate a life that looks like Jesus Christ, that serves like Jesus Christ, that has the heart of a servant like Jesus Christ. I want us to see here, some of you think that being a servant, you hear this word servant, you just, maybe you've been thinking this whole time, it just is like, man, pushover. That's not what it is. See, Jesus on the cross looked out and said, when they said, hey, uh, he said, you know what, I could, I could right now open up the heaven and you would see a bunch of angels, legions of angels, thousands of angels who would come and wipe out the Romans right now. He says, no, I got to serve. I got to lay my life down for the people so that they can have forgiveness of sins. So it's bridled strength. Jesus isn't a pushover. He is the greatest of all time, the, the strongest of all time, the mightiest of all time. And what he's doing, he's bridling his strength. He's strong, yet sacrificial. He gives himself. And so it, it requires us, this service, if we're going to build things for Jesus, his kingdom here on earth, as it is in heaven, it's going to require us to not be pushovers, but to be servants. To bridle our strength, get some stuff done, but do, it, do so with humility, considering others greater than ourselves, doing hard things for the cause of Christ, not for the glory of, of man, but for the glory of God, pouring ourselves out for the cause of Christ, for the cause of others, for the people in need, in our home where we live, work, and play, the poor, the needy in our, in our, in our city, giving ourselves, emptying ourselves for the good and service of others. And we take our cue from Jesus. If he can handle our sin problem, he can handle the rest of our problems. That's what we're doing. We're taking Jesus, who can handle all their other problems, to the people, saying, there's a good God and King who wants to help. And we're going to help you along the way. We're going to serve you along the way. And we want to introduce you to this King that we know. I'm going to end with this. Seven ways to shipwreck your service. I'll be fast. I know some of you said seven. Ah, he's not going to finish. Seven ways to shipwreck your service. This is how you undo everything we just said. This may be some of the most important points of, of the message. Self-righteousness will totally shipwreck your service. This is you, you're driven by pride, not hum humility. This is I have to work to earn. If I can serve, then God will look at me as righteous. I'm not righteous until I do some stuff. This is the Pharisees issue. They, they, they needed, they're like, man, I, I, if I can do all these things, then I can earn right standing before God. So some people will take the posture uh, of self-righteousness and just serve, 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 because they think the more they serve, the more uh, people will like them and the more God must approve of them. And therefore God will bless them more because they're doing more. And so God will look upon them and say, man, they're a really good person. Like, you know, I'll give you more. No, that's not how it works. Our righteousness does not come from our works, but our righteousness comes from Christ. When Jesus died in your place for your sins, through faith, he gave, gave you his righteousness because on the cross, he took your imperfection and your unrighteousness. Additionally, uh, self-righteousness, what it does is it says, not only do I have to work to earn, but it says that I'm not a son or daughter of God. It says I gotta earn my way in. See, we serve Jesus from a posture uh, where our identity says we're a son or daughter of God. We, don't need, we have a privilege as the king's kids, so, and so we serve out of that. Additionally, some of you may be just, and this, there, there's some people in this world that are just too proud to receive help. 
to receive service. See this all the time. Someone will say, man, you know what? Hey, I'm like, hey, I, I, I'm like, hey, I want to help. And they're like, hey, I'll, you know, thank you so much. I, I really, really don't need help. You know, we're good. We got it. And, it's, and you just keep going over and over in your life. And some of you are married to that person. And so like one of you is like, hey, I want to help you. And they're like, no, we don't need help. And that person wishes you would help. And they want you to, you know, you know read their brain. And so we just have a lot of people who do this in this life who are like, man, I really want someone to help me, but I don't want to ask for help because if I ask for help, then, you know, I look weak. Well, guess what? You are weak. All of you are. Every single one of you in here, weak. We all need help. You can't even believe the gospel if you don't realize you need help. Every time you're wanting to help someone and they say, no, I don't need it, just tell them, well, I guess you don't need Jesus. Don't need the gospel either. All right, cool. It's ridiculous. See, James 4, 2 says you have not because you ask not. So this is, this is what I do with people. They're like, I don't need help. I'm like, okay. I offered. I know you do need help, but your pride is getting in the way. And I hope you hit your head on the brick wall of pride and humble yourself because you're clueless. You're arrogant, and you need to repent. So I'll let you keep banging your head against the wall. James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. And then he says you ask, and then you don't receive because you spend it on yourself because you're selfish. So sometimes God says, no, you're selfish. Sometimes God says, I would have given you, but you're selfish and didn't ask. Like, humble yourself, people, all of us. See, self-righteousness comes in multiple ways. If, you, if someone asks for help, how can I help you? Humble yourself. Well, actually, I don't really know, but here's a couple ways. So if I tell you, so you ask me if I, you can help me, and I say, I'm very aware. If I say no, I know that I'm declining help. I'm not passive-aggressive thinking you should have helped. I just need you to know that. But also take that same posture with you. If we ask you, if how can we serve you, and you're like, I don't know, uh, you can't, then all right, we, you, we can, and maybe we will. But in that moment, you need to repent of your self-righteousness. Some of us are just too proud to be served. We're needy, and God's people want to help. See, it's not the government's job to help. Everyone will take handouts from the government, but won't take handouts from God's people. It should be inverted. Forget their, I'm not, I'm going to move to the next one. <sighs> Stick around after service for part three. Uh, worldly ambition, number two. Worldly ambition. See, this is, I want to use Jesus and not worship Jesus. I want to use him, but not worship him. See, this is what Judas did. Jesus' ministry was what's happening. Like, people knew about it. Like, other towns, there were no social media, nothing. And everyone knew about him. Jesus rolling into town, people were showing up. People just wanted to touch his garment and get healed. They, it was wild. Judas was tagging along for the social benefits. Some people want to follow Jesus for the social benefits, which are waning by the day, by the way. Uh, but, but there's this worldly ambition where we want to use Jesus for, to, to, to meet some end or need for ourselves. Worldly ambition will shipwreck your service just like it shipwrecked Judas's life. If you don't know his story, you can pick it up at the beginning of Acts. Um, number three, there's a need. We, if you have a need for recognition, a need for recognition will shipwreck your service. This is what the Pharisees needed. They needed the praise of man so they'd go out on the streets and pray. They'd pray out loud in the streets. Hello, God, we love you. You know, like, why are you praying in the streets? Because they want everyone to hear it. They needed the approval and recognition of man. See, if Jesus, the praise of Jesus Christ isn't enough, this will shipwreck you. Because what will end up happening is, unbeknownst to most people, uh, you'll, you'll find yourself, say you're serving in the church, and then one day someone will say, hey, I, I just want to thank so-and-so for the way they've been serving. And you're like, I've been serving in that same way. How come they didn't say my name? And it crushes you. You're like, I didn't get the recognition. Why did they get recognition? 
Well, probably God is working on your heart at that moment, just so you know, because no one is like planning to do that. But just so you know, that's probably what's going on. When our hearts need recognition and aren't satisfied with the recognition of Christ and Jesus isn't sufficient, we will be ruled by a need for approval of others, a recognition. And when we don't get it, it will lead to bitterness, resentment, hurt, and pain. I get it. It's real. This is why I referred back to John the Baptist at the beginning. Like He was like, I want Jesus to be on display. May he increase while I decrease. So if, if, if people remember Jesus and they forget you, praise be to God. That's the legacy you want. Number four, seeing service as a stepping stone, not a lifestyle. When we see that, then we see, I'm gonna, you know, if I can serve in the parking lot, then I can serve inside, then I can serve, eventually I'll be preaching. Like that's not, this isn't a stepping stone thing. Serving Jesus in his church, it shouldn't be a stepping stone. This should be a lifestyle. Here's what happens. If you see serving as merely a lifestyle, or sorry, as merely a stepping stone and not a lifestyle, what you will do is rule like the Gentiles. You will rule like the kingdom of darkness. You will rule like the counterfeit kings because you'll use service just to get your position. And when you get there, you'll domineer over everyone because you don't have a servant's heart. And you will rule like the king you despise today. We must see service as a lifestyle not a stepping stone. Number five, a poor work ethic will shipwreck your service, meaning this, that if you, don't, if you have a poor work ethic, you start serving, you're like, oh man, this is hard. Like, oh man, like we sweat, we're doing stuff, like serving on Sunday setup, you're like, man, this was hard. So what that'll end up leading to if you have a poor work ethic is complaining and cowardice, backbiting behind the scenes, real, divis- uh, real division, it'll shipwreck the church, it'll re- shipwreck your life. It's just poor work ethic will not help in your quest to serving Jesus. But neither will a strong work ethic, number, set, number six, that has a lack of, lacking a servant heart. You have a strong work ethic, but a lack of servant heart might be more dangerous because you're getting a lot of stuff done. Maybe even people are giving you praise, but you don't, you're not a servant. You don't care for the people. You're just, a, you're just getting stuff done. And so when you, when, you, when you have a strong work ethic, but don't have a servant's heart, it leads to bitterness, resentment, pride, which will destroy you. Number seven, not being motivated by love. Galatians 5.3 calls us to serve one another in love. Here's what it's saying. You got to love the people you're serving. It changes everything, right? Imagine, just think about this, our, our, our civil servants, so if, they, if you believe they loved you, you'd be like, man, they probably do things different. Yes, because they don't love you. That's why. Some people serve Jesus in his church like they don't love people. Why? We love people. We love Jesus. We should love the people. What you're doing through your service is loving people. And so you should be motivated by love for people. If not, it will shipwreck your, your, your service. And so we should love people. We should love our family. Lo- anyone we're looking to serve, we should be motivated by a love for them. Like, I actually like them. I actually want love them. I care for them. I want to help them. And so we should love your boss, love your coworkers, love your employees, love. Be motivated with the heart of love for Jesus his word, will, and ways, and love for others. Jesus says the greatest commandment, to love him and love others. Love the city, help the poor, meet the needs with the heart of love and compassion. And so we have many needs at this church. Our city has many needs. Our congregation has grown and there's needs going on all the time. And we could, if you ask, what are the needs? We could give you a list of needs that could be met. But here's what matters the most. is not the needs being met. It's the people who have servant hearts. So before I talk, we, we're not going to talk about any needs that need to be met specifically now. But I want to 
commend to us is to have a heart that's the heart of Christ, a servant heart, that we would desire to see kingdom greatness happen in this city, kingdom greatness in, our, in our, not just our church, not just our city, but in your home that would spread like wildfire through our nation. We would long to see Jesus' kingdom reign among every person who lives and breathes on planet Earth. We want to see that, and it's going to take work. It's going to take the hard work, the, the, the work ethic of a servant, and so I don't know where your heart is in regards to this right now. I don't know what Jesus is speaking to you specifically, but we're going to respond. I want you to consider what he's saying. Consider where your heart needs repentance. Consider where you need to, to take an action step. Consider what the Holy Spirit is, is saying to you now and obey. So I want to read this verse over us and I'll pray and I'll walk us through communion. So I want us to think about this as we respond through the partaking of communion and the singing of songs as we end our service today. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Just hear the word of the Lord. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, your, than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not... In, Count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empties himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has exalted him highly and bestowed upon them a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would rid, of, rid us of our selfish ambition, our desire for worldly greatness, and, and exchange it, redirect us for, for greatness according to your kingdom. Give us humility to count others more significant than ourselves. May we look not only to our own interests, uh, but, take, but also look to the interests of others. May we not neglect what you've put in front of us, uh, but but. but be empowered by your spirit to labor and work and to serve in a manner that's glorifying to you and pleasing to you. May we maybe seek ways to serve others, find opportunities to bless. Would you use us mightily for your name's sake and may we see your kingdom move with great power and great glory for you are a great God and a great king and all glory is due your name. As we respond today, may, we, may you continue to speak to our hearts and may you get, grant us willing spirits to obey your commands. In Jesus' name, amen.